0: Welcome to the Asian Americans. Hope you're staying safe and well, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening to this. My pleasure to welcome you to episode 79 as I talk to my friend Mary Chan from uh, Canada for Organized Sound Productions about podcasting. Uh, Mary is somebody who is in the podcasting business with uh, a lot of experience in the traditional radio space, and now she is a podcast host, a podcast coach, and a podcast producer, um, helping women tell their stories more boldly and more proudly. And it is my honor to uh, share this space with her as we talk about uh, storytelling from the Asian perspective, uh, both here in America and in Canada, and why we are both so passionate about storytelling and podcasting. Uh, Speaking of podcasts here at Just Like Media, uh, home to the Asian Americans, we are so excited to share with you and remind you that we have a few other shows uh, that might be of interest to you. Uh, First, we have MB Asians, which covers the journey of Jacob and Jay, who are international uh, MBA students from Asia. Uh, Taiwan and Korea, uh, sharing their experiences with their friends going through the same process here, and that you can find that at MB Asians, the Chanchi Chi Show. Uh, you might know the names Nathan Nowak, Patrick uh, Armstrong, and KJ Rocky, three former guests of the Asian Americans, and the three of them have started a show uh, on Just Like Media about and for the Korean adoptee experience. We are firing back up 34 for 34, a show that I am hosting. Uh, in support of David Kim for Congress here in California's 34th district, the Asian podcast network, where we talk to other Asian podcasters globally and share their stories and share their wise. And coming very soon, we are starting a show with another former, the Asian Americans guest, a two-time guest, uh, Dr. Jang Cho and I will be starting the Korean American po- parenting podcast, um, available to you, uh, for all of the parents who want to uh, talk about parenting and all the fun stuff. Uh, Let us know if you want to listen to any of these shows. You can find all the shows and the links at justlikemedia.com, or you can find the links in the show notes as well. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We are 28 days away from the election here in the U.S. Make sure to vote, make sure to wear your masks, and make sure uh, to stay safe, please, wherever you are. Uh, Without further ado, here now is my conversation with Mary Chan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans, wherever you are, Whenever you are listening to the sound of our voice, we wish you all the health, safety, and happiness. We are still in a pandemic, so please stay home, wear your masks, uh, resist the urge to see your friends and family at least for a little while. But I think sort of the uh, it's kind of been nice not to have to see people. I think we've some, for some of us, we've we've been lucky enough to um, not have to comply with our parents' desires to. Uh, Come over, or um, at least I've heard from some folks. uh, Not having to go visit or comply to in-laws' demands has been a really weird side effect and a silver lining to all this. And and depending on where you are um, in the country or in the world, uh, different rules apply. So you know, please do do whatever is is necessary. We're recording this on the seventeenth of August. You probably are going to hear this sometime in September, and so we hope that by the time you are listening to this, that we are in a much safer and a more Progress state as far as uh, fighting the virus and uh, trying to get back to life as normally as we can. But in the meantime, I am happy to share my voice with you. I am happy to share the voices and the stories of all of our guests and hope that you find a little bit of community. Hope you find a little bit of resonance and helps you make or helps you to feel a little bit less alone and to feel connected with our greater Asian American audience. And so my guest today does what I do. She is in the podcast business, she shares other people's stories, and with her experience of many, many years in the media business, she is now in the position to help others find their voice, both from a holistic storytelling perspective, but also from a voice acting and coaching perspective. So, so excited, joining us all the way from a place we can't quite visit, or I can't visit right now, in Victoria, uh, British Columbia, Canada. Welcome, Mary, to the show.
1: Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank (laughs) you. And for for folks who are listening, uh, this is how you know Mary is an expert podcaster. You laugh in silence. And those of (laughs) us, you have to. So if you do podcasts a lot, you have to laugh in silence because you don't want to get the sound picked up by the microphone so that your guest voice or the other person's voice doesn't get distorted. So I've learned that. I laugh silently a lot now. But, thanks for making time for us. Um, it is early on a Monday morning, which is a fantastic way to get our both of our weeks started. We're gonna get to knowing about Mary the Person, but before we do that, uh, share with us a little bit about uh, organized Sound, your company, and what you do in the podcast space.
1: So organized Sound Productions is a podcasting uh, editing and consulting company where I lead uh, women to either launch their podcast and create one or to help them with their existing show. So that could be strategy on how to get more listeners, how to market your show, but mainly a lot of editing. And that's my bread and butter in my background, editing audio.
0: How did you learn how to edit?
1: I went to radio school <laughs> way <laughs> back in the day. Yep. And then I, you just hone your skills, doing it day that's- in and day out.
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know... Um- Podcast because it is a singular it's not singular but it is in in reality it's not a singular um, you know sense medium but in technicality it is because you can just listen so it's the content the context and also the quality of the audio that you know people resonate with um, so I, I think you know that's a part of the the puzzle that I think uh, some folks over obsess over and on the other end of the spectrum people don't care enough about um, yes. <laughs> but um You know, most people will listen if the content is great, Um, but it helps when it sounds great. It helps when it sounds not echoey. Um, So, you know, uh, power to you and to uh, Allison and Jay on our team and to all the editors out there who take our voice and to make it sound good so that by the time you listen to it, um, all the ums are gone and all the clicks are gone and we just sound a little bit better. Um, Yep. So thank you. Let's learn about Mary. Um, how did the Chan family um, end up in Canada? Um, and tell us a little bit about your earlier years of uh, coming over to Canada.
1: Yeah. So my dad, he traveled a lot for work. Uh, he was originally from China, and he, I don't really know his full backstory. And I'm sure a lot of Asian parents are the same, right? They don't really tell you. But I, I remember him telling me that he would travel for work a lot and stay with family. And so he was already in Canada, uh, the Toronto area, the East Coast. And then my mom was in in Hong Kong and she was getting, you know, older, as I say with my air quotes, being in her early 20s. I think she was 20, (laughs) 21. And her parents said she needed to find a husband and do you have a boyfriend? And she's like, no, I don't. And they said, well... So-and-so uncle knows this guy who knows this other guy who knows this guy who's in Canada. He's looking for a wife. What do you think about that? And her immediate response was, oh, I want to travel. That's what I want to do. Sure, I'll get in touch with this guy. And so they wrote letters back and forth for a while. And he invited her to Canada to get married. And she said, sure. They never met in in real life. Like, this is, what, the 70s? Mm. So, you know, no internet. It was just letters and photographs. And she said, I need to live somewhere warm, though, because I hear Canada is cold. <laughs> Being from Hong Kong, she didn't want to be in snow. And so my dad said, oh, I heard Vancouver is the warmest in all of Canada. So let's just move there. And so he picked up his life. She did, too. And they met for the first time at an air- at the airport in Vancouver. And that's how the Chan family started in Canada.
0: <laughs> Isn't that crazy how our parents, um, or like the the matchmaking or marriage, I don't even want to call it traditions. Um, maybe it's a tradition, but like ask your parents how they met. Like, not you know, and like ask them again, maybe after a few drinks. Like it's, because <laughs> yes. the story changes, right? Like, Oh, yeah. I guess it's like it's like our version of like, um, you know, uh, I have some friends that met at nightclubs, but then like they don't tell that story. Right. Like, oh, we just met through mutual friends. Yeah. Um, But yeah, just the the matchmaking process. And I, and I think, you know, like a country and a culture like India's, they get a lot of the highlight or the spotlight for arranged marriages. Right. And like um, I haven't watched it yet, but like apparently Indian matchmaking is like the hottest show on Netflix. And um, there's a lot of opinions on that but even back in the day right like not matchmaking or arranged marriage but there was a lot of parental involvement and there was a lot of the decision making cycle was much shorter and whether you think that that is limiting to somebody's personal freedom or personal choice um but it was just the way that a lot of our parent generation um they got married and you know the divorce rates divorce rates weren't any significantly different so you know maybe you know who who are we to knock that system right? Um
1: however, I would say, maybe also with the Asian culture, divorce was taboo, so
0: ah, uh, you're right i I take I walk my statement back yep, <laughs> yep, shame, public shame, yeah, um, or you know suffering through, and then that leads to you know other unspoken family secrets exactly um, yep. Well, glad that it happened, and they met at the airport. <laughs> they met
1: at the airport. And got
0: yep. So, did your did your mom ever get the, the, her her desire to live in a warmer climate checked off?
1: Yes. Well, she's glad that she's in Vancouver, <laughs> which looks very similar to Hong Kong. Is what I've been, mm. you know. She was told, and I've been told. I've only been to Hong Kong once to see her family. Like she's the only one who ever left. And her entire family is still back in Hong Kong. And she says that, yeah, Vancouver is very similar climate-wise. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Are are they doing okay with all this stuff that's going on there recently?
1: Yeah, they try and stay away from most of it, from what I heard recently. Mm. But again, they don't talk about the bad, you know, the bad stuff that's happening in their lives. They're always sugarcoating it or changing the perception to show her that they're okay. And so those are the only stories I really get from my mom. And again, it's a story that I hear from her that she gets from her family. So I don't even know if it's like double sugar-coated at this point.
0: This is like a really terrible game of telephone, right? Yes. Um, And every layer is, how much more can we protect our children from crap? Yeah. And then by the time it gets to the child, it's like, no, I'm actually mature and willing to hear all of it. but
1: And that's why don't I'm asking to, you. I want right. and, to know. And we don't
0: get to make that decision, right? Or no. they make that decision for us mm-hmm. in a way. Um, so you're, you're born in Vancouver. Vancouver, we know it today to be a very, very diverse metropolitan area, uh, particularly when it comes to Asian Americans. And even more specifically, um, you know, to folks who immigrated from China, and particularly Hong Kong, it is a very um, Asian from an Asian perspective, very diverse place with all the restaurants and the, and the community stuff. Um, was, was it like that when you were growing up?
1: Oh, yeah. In the 80s and 90s, we had the big influx of uh, people from Hong Kong mm. when the handover happened back to China. And so we have, when I was growing up, I didn't feel like I was an outsider because I also grew up in Chinatown. Ah. So, my elementary school, if you were Caucasian, then you were the outsider, technically. <laughs> so, all my friends were either Chinese, Vietnamese, Filipino, it ran the Laotian, it ran the Asian gamut. Mm. And so, when we all went from elementary school, the local high school was very much the same. We had a lot of Asian students, we had more Caucasian students in high school, but I never felt like I was different in that way. And we had our teachers and our support staff that were really supportive of the community because the, in Chinatown, in Vancouver, we're right next to the poorest postal code in all of Canada. So your zip code, our postal code, we, it's called the downtown east side. And there's a lot of mental health issues, drug addiction happening right in my backyard. And so in my elementary school, they made sure that there were staff to be there for us and support us, not only for academics, but knowing what our culture is, teaching us about the, the different Asian cultures, celebrating all of those differences. And that really created this community in my elementary school that we weren't different. And it wasn't until I graduated from high school and went to post-secondary realizing that, oh, I am different. Oh, look, I look different than everybody else here in this classroom. I'm finally, <laughs> this is what it means to be a visible minority. Oh, I get it now.
0: <laughs> that I think is a fascinating way to grow up, right? Because I think for, for many, um, and, and now the, the world is so interconnected through technology and other means. Um, But, you know, the things that we were exposed to earlier in life primarily was dictated by just call it luck, call it our parents' decisions of where they decided to immigrate to and what was your immediate surrounding. Um, You know, we we talked to a lot of folks on the show that grow up with no Asian cultural, you know, influence, um, particularly our uh, refugee friends, right? Like they get placed in you know, some random rural town in Pennsylvania or end up in the middle of the country somewhere in America where you have to deal with, uh, blatant racism because you're the only, um, but then from time, time again, we also hear stories of like yours, Mary, where it's like, no, like we, we grew up with all Asian folks, right? Like I, we, we moved to a city down here in California called Fullerton and, um, Fullerton, whether by raw number or as a percentage of its population is the most Korean place outside of Korea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, even even in the 90s, it was um, school districts would send letters home with English in the front and Korean in the back, which was like, (laughs) so, you know, it's one of these things like in the American definition or the Canadian definition of diversity where white is the norm, are we a diverse school? Yes. But if 70% of your school is one race, is it diverse? No. no.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's it's yeah, it's fascinating. And and I think it's and at least Fullerton, it wasn't even a very big place of commerce for Korean folks. It was just like a residential suburb that everybody decided to descend on. Because um, word got out that they had a good school district. So like all the Koreans moved there. <laughs> which is you where how you can um track Asian migration patterns by, you know, what school district was really high rate highly rated like five years ago and then
1: that's where you they can, all can probably find to. a lot, yeah,
0: yeah, a lot. A lot of our folks there today. What did you want to grow up to be when you were growing up, and what were who were some of your uh, influences growing up in Chinatown?
1: It was mainly the teachers. The teachers were so supportive, and I think it had to do a lot with the fact that, like I was saying, we were next to the downtown East Side, and so a lot of the students their families were of low income and so was mine. And those teachers knew that within our community, these kids all needed to be supported. Otherwise we would end up in the downtown side with the mental health issues and the drug addiction. And so there was a lot of support from not just the teachers, but the extended community of that staff. And I remember in grade six, There was a a man who worked at the attached community center. And he saw something in me. I think I was, I'm can't tell with my voice or looking at me on this Zoom call, but I'm five foot one, maybe. And so I'm very tiny. And because I was always the smallest person in the class, I was scrappy. And I wanted to make sure that I was physically holding up more space, that I was heard. And so I did bully some of the other kids. Because I thought that's how I would be seen. And this, this guy in the community center I think he saw that's what I was doing and he pulled me aside one day and he said you know, why are you doing that? What makes you believe that bullying someone and hitting someone will make you be a good leader? That somebody will want to follow you and be your friend? Hmm. And that Impacted me so much, and he said, "Hey, we have this leadership program. There's just going to be a handful of other kids. Why don't you join this leadership program, and that way you will be able to figure out how to be a leader and how to get your voice heard, and not physically fight your way through. And then through that, going taking all of that that I've learned, and then going into high school." And not really knowing what I want to do with my life, but knowing that I somehow wanted my voice heard and I felt that I had an opinion. I'm the youngest of three. And so I was always, again, fighting my way through or speaking really, really loudly, yelling at people because I was the youngest of three and everybody else was older. So I had to wait my turn because Mm. I'm the youngest and I'm a girl. And in high school, we took I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, but in grade 11, we had this program called CAP: Career and Personal Planning." And we did one of those uh, computer tests where you just answered a whole bunch of questions. And my top three results was a movie director, Work in radio." And I can't remember what the third one was, but I was like, "Radio! Oh my gosh! Movie director just seemed like too much of a Hollywood. Thing that I I couldn't attain. But radio, I was listening to the radio all the time. Mm. I had a Walkman, had it it stashed in my pocket. I had the earbuds like wrangled up the sleeve of my shirt. Oh, we all did that. And I had really long hair. And so I just listened to the radio all the time. And when I realized that I could do that as a career, that just blew my mind. And that I could use my voice and people would finally listen to me, you know? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Tell me about that. This what were your perceptions though, as a Chinese-Canadian person? Was the media landscape in Vancouver locally reflective of the population enough? And and I say that because we have, and and I see you're shaking your head already, because media, traditional media um, was a land of permissions and secret conversations, to which none of us were ever invited. I'm not just talking about Asian folks. I'm talking about you know uh everybody right Every, everybody who wasn't connected everybody who wasn't you know stereotyped into particular roles right um like how did you view yourself in that landscape of at that point you actually needed somebody to give you airtime, and if you weren't a somebody if you weren't going to generate a lot of money for the media companies even if they gave you to you, it was an overnight shift or, you know, some weird um, circumstance, right? Like, yeah. how, how did you, did, when, when did you realize that it wasn't going to be as as, as easy for an Asian American woman or Asian Canadian woman to, to break into the traditional radio scene?
1: I don't think I've ever had that realization point. And again, I think that comes back to growing up in a community of Asian people that supported me. So I, hmm. Didn't feel like I was different, but yes, the media landscape was. There was no representation whatsoever. I mean, no, no, I wouldn't say whatsoever. There was one woman on the six o'clock news that was Asian, and I watched her every night. <laughs> you know, she wasn't the main anchor. Still, she was there. She would be the. She was the co-host or the main anchor when the main old white guy was on vacation. But even just that one person gave me the empowerment I needed to say, oh, yeah, I can do this. And seeing one person can change anybody's perspective. So the small steps that we're doing now can definitely change the future. And so when I went into radio school, I didn't think, oh, I'm... I'm Chinese, how am I going to be represented or whatnot? It was just, I want to be in radio. I have this passion for audio. I'm going to do it no matter what. Yeah, I'll have this little bit of a plan B because I think that's what Chinese parents would like you to have when you tell them, I'm going to go to radio school and not to UBC, which is the big university in town and be a doctor or a nurse or You know, all that sort of traditional Chinese culture that your parents put upon you for a career. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And it didn't matter what they were going to say because I felt that I'm going to prove my point. And you know what? If it didn't work out, I do have that plan B that's in the back of my head and I'll be okay.
0: I think that's what you just shared is the reason why. I do what I do and the reason why you do what you do. And for so many of our um, colleagues and community members who I don't, you know, everybody has a real different reason for starting, but the impact is that some kid that looks like you, our kids will eventually be able to listen to moms and dad's voice and uncles and aunts who look like us. And I always, you know, people always ask, you know, why Asian American stories? And I say, well, that's because nobody's telling it. But, you know, you don't have to tell Asian American stories. Like, you know, the person that you spoke of on the 6 o'clock news for me was Michael Kim on ESPN. Mm-hmm. He had the midnight shift on the secondary crap channel. He wasn't supposed to be seen, right? Yeah, like, yeah. he wasn't the primetime 6 p.m. Stuart Scott co-host, right? But how cool was it for me and for so many other kids that, a Korean dude was on SportsCenter, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I made it a point to watch him, right? And I don't know, may, maybe little Jerry thought like, I'm going to give you ratings, brother, right? Like, <laughs> you know, let, let's show the world that like people want to watch you. But those moments, and right now we're trying to do this in a democratized state where we don't need anybody's permission to produce a show. Yet we still exist in a medium where if an Apple or a Spotify or a Google says, we're going to highlight you in some way, some way, shape or form, it's still that blessing that helps us, you know, amplify our stories or, but it's so important, regardless of how big you think your impact is, because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if that six o'clock, you know, anchor in Vancouver, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, thought that we'd be talking about her today. And, you know, um, I I was lucky enough to meet Michael years later. And I told him, I was like, you have no idea. Like, and I, I don't think he knew what the impact could be. Right. And so if you're out there and you're, I don't know, maybe you started your own show. Maybe you're listening to this with the hopes of learning a few things about, you know, podcasting and, or wanting to get started or improve your show we're going to talk about all that but before we talk about any of this good stuff or i guess the tactical stuff here's the real good stuff do it because you're going to change somebody's life and you're probably never going to meet that person um, they might they may never write to you um, but know that you because of who you are are uniquely qualified to share whatever story you want to share and the context that it is you whoever you you are and whatever you look like, there's somebody that looks like you had it's going through the same exact experience many years before or many years later, and and you're gonna change that person's life. So um is this the thing that I am most passionate about right now is to get people to share their stories and believe that Asian American and Asian stories in general matter. Um and for a lot of out uh, for those out there, for those of you out there who might be thinking, well Do I have to make it an Asian American show? Do I have to make it an Asian show? You don't have to, right? Um, And and the main pushback that I get when I talk to folks about this, I know the reason why, because they think it's a small market, right? They look at the statistics and they go, okay, Asian Americans make up 6% of American population. I can do easy math. There's even, you know, an organization and a Facebook or Instagram page called 18 million rising. So I know that there's 18 million Asian Americans. Why would I go after 18 million when I can go after all 376 million? Which is a fair, but wrong assessment of your market analysis. If we want to put our business hats on for a <laughs> second, there are about seven billion people in the world, and about sixty percent of that is Asian. So there are four and a half billion Asians in the world, and a conservative estimate of how many of that actually speak English will probably land us in a number closer to a billion. So, while you think that three hundred and seventy-six is your biggest audience potential for all of America, um, your audience actually is about three times that, and you know. So figure out what stories will resonate with somebody who speaks English in China, in India, in Australia, in Canada, and go after that audience because we all look the same. We all have similar stories and, and pain points and motivations for why we do what we want to do. Now let's go back to talking to Mary. <laughs> I got really passionate there, which is I get really. I riled didn't up want to interrupt you because
1: it, it's all true. I was nodding my head the whole time.
0: It's, it's true. Tr- yeah. What, what, what kept you going? Um, tell us, you know, so on, on your resume, you, you worked for Rogers, the biggest media company in Canada for a very long time and in various functions. And now we looking back, it's like, oh, she was there for 15 years. But what kind of stuff did you do? What kind of stuff did you learn? Um, not only about the ins and outs of the radio business, but about yourself.
1: I learned a lot. I had one of the best mentors who didn't care that I was Chinese that I was a girl. First of all, I did a lot of, my main focus was making commercials. So the production, the audio side of it, I would get a script and I would have to figure out who's the voice, where the sound effects I want, uh, and the music, and then lay them all together. And sometimes that included my own voice or a client from a small business coming in to voice their commercial and making sure that they sounded as much of like themselves as possible. And that's where I really honed in on my skills. And my manager, who was my mentor, like I said, didn't care that I was a girl. There were very few and still is very few women audio engineers, women radio producers, very few of them. He just saw something in my talent and he honed in on that and really supported me through it. And sometimes I would have a client that came in and I don't know if it was being a woman, being Chinese, being five foot one, (laughs) maybe all of the above. I remember a time when a client came in and looked at me and said, this is who I'm working with? Like, well, what's wrong with me? And having the support of my boss that he would say, yes this is your producer. She's excellent at what she does. Please listen to what she has to say. He didn't. He treated me like a second-class citizen. But then I just said, fine. If this is what you want, I will just hit the record button. You say whatever it is you need to say, and you will sound however it is that you will sound. You can sound better if you listen to what I have to say, but clearly you don't. So that's how his commercial ended up. But having that manager behind me that I could even say that to a client where I can just hit record and be done with it is really empowering to have somebody behind you to support you to be able to say those words to people and to then empower myself to take this job in a really passionate direction
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, Shout out to all the people who mentored us, who at the risk of their own, I don't know, uh, professional path being questioned. Yeah. Especially at a time when diversity and the topics of diversity and the conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion are definitely not what it is in 2020. While we still have a long way to go, Think about how bad it must have been 20, 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago. Yeah. To to try to be successful, you know, and it's you know, it's it's kind of in, in a way it's unfortunate that the only way, not the only way, one of the, one of the ways that we get accepted or recognized, or we get credibility through the association of other people in the organization um, who are of the majority. Because obviously our our work and our our own voices and our story should stand by themselves and stand for themselves regardless. Um, Really grateful for your mentor, your manager, and I have many in my life as do all of us um, who maybe saw beyond color. Um, Yeah,
1: totally. He definitely, definitely did.
0: Maybe, and he may never share this with you, but maybe he knew that he needed to vouch for you for you to have a shot at something, right? Because unfortunately for so many of us, talent alone does not break through glass, bamboo, other types of ceilings, right? Like we need the extra nudge from somebody who has that credibility to say, yo, Mary's got her stuff, right? Like gotta give Jerry a chance. And so if you've been the lucky recipient of that, and all of us are. Um, let's pay it forward. Uh, let's continue to do the things that we need to do. And bonus points if you're help, helping somebody that looks like you. Because like we talked about earlier, that representation piece is so important. Um, and, and so let us that's a really, really great lesson, Mary.
1: You don't notice these things when it's happening in the moment. It's, like, it's years later. You reflect back on it. And you're like, wow. That really defined what I wanted to do, who I was going to be, and the whole identity piece. Because although, like I said, I had a lot of Asian people around me in my community growing up, being the young rebel I was, I didn't want to be Chinese. I kept saying that, oh, I'm Canadian. I am so Canadian. (laughs) But then knowing that I still bring like noodle soup for lunch and have fried rice. And uh, when, when I went to Hong Kong, I was... 11 at the time and my, I met my mom's mom for the very first time and she had a very big impact on me too but not in a good way. She once said to me in Cantonese and if you know you speak Cantonese you'll know she said that I had mon, mono which is I didn't have a brain and I was like what? I was 11 and I was really devastated and so I went to my mom, like, why did grandma say that to me? Like, I understand she doesn't mean it literally, but I don't understand the connotation and what she's trying to say. Mm. And my mom said, well, it's because you're Canadian. You're never going to have a Chinese brain. I'm like, but I am Chinese. Also, like, I, I, I don't understand. I don't get this. And my mom said, well, it's because you were born in Canada. And so she didn't accept me as being Chinese. And so the identity piece of now then, okay, am I Chinese or am I Canadian? because when I'm in Hong Kong with my Hong Kong family that I've just met, I'm not Chinese to them, but then I'm home in Canada, and apparently now I'm also not Canadian I'm so that whole identity just threw me for a loop, and I wanted to just be Canadian then fine, that's who I am, and for you know. The formative years, I think that's where my rebelliousness came from and not caring what my parents' culture was telling me to do.
0: (laughs) You're not alone. I think we all go through it, right? I think it's the, um, and it's really, I don't know, really, it sucks. It's unfortunate that even your own grandmother saw you as she's, you're you're her offspring. Um, But as a society, We've all felt that, um, not Korean enough, obviously not American Canadian enough because oops, you know, skin's not light enough. Um, hair's too dark. And so I think a lot of us, many in our community, um, have then wrongly sort of taken that information and said, okay, well, this must be a binary thing. I have to choose to be one or the other. and then again, as with all things in life, with hindsight and with experience, and we're like, no, we're like 100% of both. And that's yeah. badass. Yes. I, like I have culture that other, you know, I have perspectives, culture, food, and language skills that most of America doesn't have. And I have global understanding of language and culture skills that most Koreans don't have. That actually makes me better than being just one, right? So yeah. it's it's this... In, in a weird way, it's sort of a, a version of the scarcity mindset that you have to be 100% of one thing. But in reality, no, you can be 200%. It can be 100% exactly. of both. Exactly, yes. And, and even if you suck at one, like even if you don't speak Korean, Cantonese, whatever, perfectly, like the sum of both parts is always going to be more than 100, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'd have to be pretty crappy at both for the sum of your two parts to be a hundred percent like really bad. And of course that's not the case for all of, for any of us. Right. So, um, yeah, even if you're like, I don't know, American culture understanding language and all that skill is a hundred percent and your, your Asian side sucks, you're still gonna, it's, it's gonna be greater than a hundred percent. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's where I think I want to help young people understand that and not have those struggles that we did of having to choose, um, Because the reality is you have to go to somewhere where you're going to be accepted for who you are. And if that's not back home, giant air quotes, so be it, right? (laughs) If that's not going to be in the boardroom or some production room of some executives who have no idea what our families live through, then so be it, right? Um, I I think so many of us have spent a large chunk of our lives, and uh, many do still, Um, try to assimilate, which is a word that I think maybe our parents didn't know this word or use it directly, but that was sort of what we were told as the goal for coming to this country to try to fit in as as much as we can. Um, And then now, you know, with with hindsight and perspective, it's like, well, that wasn't probably the smartest idea because we were (laughs) never not going to be Korean, right? We were never, the goal wasn't, you know, It would have been really devastated if we came home one day and be like, oh, just going to pretend to hate kimchi and not speak Korean. (laughs) Yes. You know? I remember
1: I asked my mom when I was young in elementary school about something. And I can't remember exactly what it was. But she said to me, well, I came to Canada. So now we are in this different culture. So you need to learn this culture. But at the same time, this is how our household is run so you also need to know about the chinese culture.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: like, oh, okay. That makes sense. So, it, yeah.
0: And <laughs> and we were talking about this right before we started recording Mary, but this presents a really interesting conversation piece for us now trying to raise our children knowing what we know about identity and about culture and perhaps trying to teach our kids at the same exact time trying to unlearn some of the toxic things that we were forced upon or that oh, were forced upon us. Yes,
1: totally. Yep.
0: And and the short answer is nobody knows anything. We're making it up as we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and we're all doing an okay job and nobody's failing at it. But again, I think it just comes down to each, each family and each couple and each, you know, um, parents like mindset of like, there's no perfect way to do it. I have no idea what it's going to be like for my kids to grow up in America 20 years from now when they go to college, right? Like, we can't predict a the future. Place. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's a safer place. I hope it's a more inclusive place, but we also run the risk of it being an even more divided place. And regardless of whichever way it goes, like, he's, you know, the, the two kids are never not going to be Korean, right? Like, yeah. So why not try to equip them with as much? confidence and positivity and, and you know healthy pride in, in who they are because that's not gonna change. And at the same time, they're gonna have to go to school with other kids. Yes. Gonna have to try to find work or whatever it is. And and so, you know, can't can't like, you know, um can't raise them in a bubble of any sort. Um
1: yeah, I've been reflecting a lot about this recently because my daughter is going into kindergarten in a couple weeks. <laughs> and with the whole Black Lives Matter movement in the media, we watch a lot of the news. And so we, we also tell our daughter about what's happening in the world just to give her that perspective and to understand where we are coming from. And anyway, she's been in daycare since she was one years old. And she has this one educator who I didn't know at the time, but she is half Vietnamese and half Caucasian. And a couple months ago, through the Black Lives Matter and wanting to talk about race with your kids, she put together this little webinar and then it just turned out that I was the only Asian parent there and she was the only Asian facilitator. Everybody else was Caucasian. And so, you know, my husband is also Caucasian. So my daughter is half. And I got to ask her what it was like growing up being half Vietnamese, half white
0: mm.
1: and what that meant to her and what am I, what can I do to help support my daughter now, especially now that she's going to start going to school and seeing that she is different and that she won't look like everybody else and all, all of those things. And one of the best things she said to me was the fact that we are already talking about it to her at such a young age because when they are six months to a year old, they are already absorbing the fact that people are different and they already know it. So if you can bring to the forefront that this is who you are as a child and as a family, that's, she said that was already the biggest difference that you're creating for your child. To give her that opportunity to choose how she wants to identify herself as because that's not something that I can ever do for her, which wasn't my original mindset, but it was kind of that. I wanted to make sure that like any parent of any culture, wanting her to be safe and growing up in a loving environment in a great community, but that's not for me to choose and to decide for her. That educator told me that I'm just building the foundations for her to make that decision, and I think that's all that we can really do and hope for for our kids.
0: I think sometimes the unrealistic expectation is that we have to get it perfect in a generation. Um, that mm. we put all this undue pressure on ourselves, and like, yo, know, we're trying to go from our immigrant parents trying to survive, literally survive, to like trying to attain like nirvana in like one generation.
1: <laughs> yes, that's yeah.
0: hard. Uh, That's really, really hard. Um, I often wonder, as we've had similar discussions in our own home about how are we going to teach our kids about Black Lives Matter, about the protest, why we can't go to school, why, you know, COVID, all this stuff. And not in a mean way, but just in an honest way, I go, how the hell would our parents have dealt with this? (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I can't help but think that, and not my parents specifically, I have no idea, um, but I do think that a significant part of our parents' population or generation would have said, that's their problem. That's not ours. Go study. Right? Yeah. Um, we don't have time to worry about that.
1: Exactly. You that's know? what I was going to say. I don't have time. My mom worked three jobs. She doesn't have time for that.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So she would have brushed it off and just said, focus on your studies.
0: Right. And, and we see that, unfortunately, still, um, you know, uh, I think people get mad about the what's happening instead of really trying to understand why it's happening. So let's take like property destruction as an example. Nobody's condoning it. And, you know, we can definitely see that, you know, are, are people specifically targeting Asian businesses? Tough to say. But in general, have a bunch of Asian businesses been burned and looted and stuff through this? also very valid. Yes, we can all agree that like nobody's advocating for stuff to burn. But have you really thought about how angry you must be to burn? And we don't have to go very far back as Koreans, Chinese, Vietnamese. Like, How many generations do we have to go back to ask our own grandparents about war, about famine, about... Literally being boat refugees, about being occupied by a different country and not being allowed to speak your own language. Two, that's it. Two, the people who went through really, really terrible things are alive today in your life. Like, we've made a lot of progress, guys. Like, it's ridiculous how much progress we've made. And that's not to say that we should rest on our laurels and, like, be like, oh, pat ourselves in the back. But realize how incredibly difficult it is for families to make that transition very quickly. And so there's empathy required on both ends to understand where our parents might be coming from. Because for them, survival literally, not like survival putting food on the table, but like literally running away from bombs and guns. Like that is a present memory in their lives. So, you know, we can't keep yelling at them like, how dare you? You don't think human lives matter it did and for them running away from bombs and communists was their way of surviving so um and and i think through all that they've shown maybe not with their perfect words but through their actions that you you got to do what you think is in the best interest of your children to provide the best for them right and i and i think for us um me and you particularly but as as a community for for me, how I can best prepare my children and their generation for the world that they're going to grow up in is to let them know that our stories matter, because representation is cool, but proper representation is cooler. Um, I don't I don't know much about Canadian politics, but you know, down down here and down here in America, we have a lot of Asian American folks who hold, you know. Uh, political positions or a position of influence and they're not doing the community any favors. Um, you know, they're not doing, they're not being good role models in my opinion, you know, um, siding with the person in the white house would be a very easy example to point to and say like, Oh, that's probably not something that I would want my kids to want to look to emulate or, you know, look up Mm to. For sure. So then it becomes, okay, let's, let's share all of our stories, right? Like let's create platforms. Let's normalize. Asian-American storytelling. Let's normalize women of color getting their own podcast. And let's normalize seeing us, all of us, on the top trending podcast charts. You know, the fact that if you go on Apple or Spotify and most like category, or all podcasts have to be categorized. There's no Asian-American category. There's no even women's storytelling category. We have to fit into the buckets that were prescribed for us. Like, I don't know where to put my own show because it doesn't fit into any of the prescribed buckets. I know what my show stands for, but sometimes it was society and culture and sometimes it was like personal journal. It's hard even for us to think about like where does our story fit, right? Like, even through all the Black Lives Matter and Spotify highlighting all the black voices, you still cannot find a category in Spotify where you can tag a podcast as black voices or black American experiences. Mm -hmm. And so the battle is going to be long for us to even do that. But um, I think we have to continue to share our stories. And and you've done a tremendous part in doing that, um, particularly for folks of color, particularly for women, um, to empower them not just through the technical skills of editing and this is how you actually podcast, but through coaching them and then through, you know, helping them with their confidence. Um, Share with us what the inspiration point was for you to start Organize Sound, um, walking away from a traditional media job.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know if I was walking away by my own. (laughs) I was more pushed over the edge. Traditional media. Yeah, yeah, traditional media is not uh, the same as, when I started in it 20 years ago, everything, and it's not just media, it's the world. Everything is downsizing. And so in 2018, they finally decided, well, Victoria is such a small market. We can do everything out of Vancouver. And so they mm. they shut down my entire department. And so we all lost our jobs. And, you know, you sit at home and you cry for a little while. <laughs> You're like, what am I going to do with my life? And I realized that I listened to a lot of podcasts. And I have this crazy skill set of audio editing and listening. And what am I going to do with that? Am I going to, you know, thinking, and and I got thinking back to when I was in high school again, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Am I going to go and work at the local grocery store, which is fine. It's a good job. I can pay for, you know, my living here. But it was about that passion that I still have helping people with their voices and really getting their voice heard. And so I realized through listening to all of these podcasts, sometimes they didn't sound as great. The content was there, but the sound wasn't there. And I thought that I could help people with that aspect. So it kind of started that way, just editing women's shows. And I really focused in on giving women that voice and that platform. And then as I edited more and more shows, And I would coach them on voice techniques and technical things, too, to help elevate their voice, to make them sound more clear and confident and to empower other people with their podcast. I realized that was also something that was needed, that women's voices were being perceived and judged in a certain light. And so I wanted to make sure that women were empowered still to use their voice because it is needed. We need that representation like we were talking about. We need to have other perspectives. And if your voice is kind of shy and quiet and, oh, I don't really know if I should say this, then your podcast and your message isn't getting heard. So, I wanted to empower women that way too. Not just to have the show, but to make your show as great sounding as possible.
0: What is the biggest thing keeping more women from turning on their own microphones?
1: They don't like the sound of their voice. I hear that a lot. Or maybe they think that their voice sounds a certain way. And so, Oh well, people won't listen to me cuz they won't they won't like my voice. But really, how you sound to yourself is not how somebody else is going to hear you because your voice is resonating through the bones in your entire body. It's not just your vocal cords. It's going to be your cheekbones, your skull, your shoulders, your chest. That's how your voice is heard. It's through all the vibrations. And so, how you hear it in your own eardrums is going to be different to how somebody else hears it when it finally comes out of your mouth. And a lot of women think they don't like their voice, and that is a whole mental mindset shift that people need to do.
0: When you say don't like the sound of their own voice, let's get into let's let's get into that specific question because I think there's a difference there between people don't. Like the sound of my physical voice, which you touched on, but people don't like my voice also could mean who am I to share and who's going to listen to what I have to say. So you're you're talking more about the people who've actually made the decision to share, and then they get caught up in the production process of, wait a minute, I don't like the sound of my own voice.
1: A little bit of this and that.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So there are a lot of people who don't want to start anything because of, yeah, what you were saying. But it also is a lot of, well, if I sound this way, then why would people listen to me? I've, people think my voice is annoying. Or, or I have a lot of ut-speak, so I talk a bit like this all the time. And I'll go up in my voice. And so why would people want to hear what I'm saying, hey? But that is all your inner work, your brain telling you this. Everyone has a message. Everyone has something that they can share. And it doesn't have to be shared with the world. Like we were saying before you can impact one person and that one person could change the world. You just don't know it at the time. So it's about learning to embrace your message and using it with your voice.
0: And I'd add on that, uh, before or in the process of you changing somebody else's life, that there's a pretty damn good chance you're going to change your own. Uh, once you believe that your voice matters, once you start recording. Um, I have no idea what the end game is of my podcast businesses and podcast ventures are, but I can tell you in the very, you know, in, in the time that I've been in it, uh, my life has changed. Amazing people have come into my life. Um, we're starting new projects and ventures and, you know, um, and if my podcasting journey were a book, we're like on chapter two. And so like, that's exciting, right? It's It's not, It's hard because I think, um, particularly in in the Asian context too, people are so impatient and people want to judge you for your whole life's work based on the chapter that you're in now. And it's really not fair. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Podcasting too is a journey. You know, we record our one episode right here, but we've made, we make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can be perfect. And you learn from that. And then you take that and improve it for the next time you do something.
0: Yeah. And I think it's all context, right? I think, you know, the the world's most recognizable podcaster perhaps is Joe Rogan, who just made, I don't know, nine figures off of his work. um, And then props to him. I actually would challenge people who won't start because. They're comparing themselves to current version of Joe Rogan experience to go listen to who his episode one.
1: Oh, exactly! Everybody has to start somewhere.
0: I don't. And the other big name recently is like, oh, Spotify exclusive has a Michelle Obama podcast. Yo, she's got a multi million dollar team. You <laughs> yeah. don't, right? Like, she has speaking coaches. You don't think the vi- the the first lady like had. Entire team with, you know, she's a professional at this point. So don't compare yourself to people with different resources and different stages in their lives. And you're going to get better. As Mary said, you have to get better. Um, I've gotten better. This is going to be episode 70 something of this show. And in, in together with other shows, like about 150 different shows that I've done. Like, I haven't actively gone to listen back to the earlier shows. Because I do, it's weird. If you think your voice sounds funny when you're listening to it, try editing yourself. It's a very, very <laughs> weird experience, especially the the laughs. Um, but it's a journey and it's a progress. And, you know, if I'm excited about how much progress I've made from one to 70 something, like I can't imagine where I'm going to go from 70 something to 700 something, right? And it's, in thinking about the impact I'm going to make on my kids, uh, Somebody else's kids and even myself, I think that's super super exciting um, on the practical end of things, Mary, share with us some tips that you've learned that might help somebody uh, execute very well on their own podcast production.
1: Oh, well, I always say to make sure that your recording space is you you want to make sure that you're recording as clean as audio as possible right from the start. So I don't know if you've heard the phrase, like, I'll fix it in post, which means, oh, if there's something wrong during the recording, I'll fix it later after the fact. Well, that's not always true. In order to have a compelling sounding show, not only do you have great content, but it needs to be audible. For people, like a nice listening experience. So making sure when you are recording your show that, you know, you don't have to have the most expensive best microphone. But knowing that if you're going to be recording in your bedroom, in your living room, wherever you are, to be in a nice quiet space. And that's key.
0: I think that's a lesson that we all learn. You know, it's easier to get get it right the first time.
1: But you learn you know, along I, I, the way.
0: <laughs> but you learn, Yeah. I see in your space, you have, you know, sound deadeners on the wall. You have microphones with the pop filter. Headphones are critically important. And you may not even have to be a professional podcaster. But if you want to guest on shows, if you want to be a part of the ecosystem, um, these are also great tips. Your podcast host will love you if you show up with, you make it easier on themselves and their editors.
1: Yes. Put on those headphones.
0: <laughs> put put on those headphones. Don't be in an echoey box. Don't call in from your cell phone. Uh, some yeah. I think some things. Turn that your I've learned. Su-
1: cell phone si- silent, not just vibrate. I've had people where I've edited a show and I can hear the bzz, bzz on the table well, in the background. And
0: they put it right because it's right next to their laptop, so the whole thing shakes. Um, yes, <laughs> <laughs> those are hard to get rid of. Yeah, but I do think that you know uh, in the climate that we're in in. In, in uh, pandemic land, the audiences definitely have shifted to a little bit more understanding of we understand that life happens and that we can, you know, for for our own safety, we can't go back into studios or we can't create these perfect situations for recording in our own home. So while we always recommend and we strive and we want people to strive for quality audio, have a little grace too. you know, my, my kids have barged in on recordings and that's okay. That's life. Or but the train to, will I, go by. We, yes,
1: I get garbage trucks when it's, if it's yeah. garbage day. <laughs> 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 but also knowing that, like we said earlier, it doesn't have to be perfect. Done is better than perfect sometimes. Yeah. Because you will learn from that experience. And then maybe next time, hey, if I know it's garbage day every Tuesday, I'm not going to schedule a recording session Tuesday no. mornings.
0: <laughs> yep, you, you learn. And much more so important than quality. Don't forget that it's your content and perhaps even more important than that, it's the context of you sharing that story that actually might make the the importance in, in the listener's life. And one last thing that I wanted to share about storytelling, whether it is whether you are a woman or a person of color or Asian American, um, all of us who really grew up with not enough appearances or examples of us in in the landscape, we should get to a point where we shouldn't be able to count how many of us there are in in any ecosystem. There are a growing number of Asian American or Asian podcasts globally. Um, We're lucky enough to know very many of them in our circles. Um, Let's get to a point where we don't know all of them. Let's get to a point where we don't ask any of them directly or indirectly. Hey, Mary's the... You know, she, she's the go-to Asian sound engineer, or you know, she she's the go-to. Like, who cares? There should be ten Marys. There should be ten of me, right? And because, like I said, we're not a subset of a subset of a Canadian population or an American population. We're sixty percent of the world's population, guys. And so, I don't know. In that context, it's frightening. Of the the opportunity itself is frightening, but it's also exciting because our stories aren't uniquely American, nor are they uniquely Canadian. Uh, We talk a lot about identity today. It's both. And a lot of us live in that both. Uh, Very, very few people. And I think increasingly more and more, um, at least those of us from Asia, as people migrate and as, you know, uh, the world gets more globalized, the monocultural identity of our Asian traditions, I think, are going to go smaller and smaller. Um, and, And so our unique dual and coexisting cultures and identities are going to be so important for us to uh, leverage these voices. Um, and and so, yeah, it's con- continue. If you haven't um, reach out to Mary, um, she'll help you get everything set up. She'll connect you with the right people. If you love to talk, but headed the hate, the editing process, hell, she'll do that for you too. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. And it's, we, you know, we're all in the business of growing the podcasting pie and the storytelling pie in in whatever way, shape, or form that means. And if you don't like the sound of your voice, we'll we'll tell you that it's great. And we'll give you the listens and we'll help you figure out how to grow your audience so that you start to believe that yourself, that your voice does matter and that it does resonate. Um, And from an opportunity perspective, no real data exists on this, but if you look at how many... Uh, woman-hosted or Asian-American-hosted podcasts there are today relative to our populations. Um, the opportunity is all upside. And so uh, connect with Mary, please. OrganizeSound.ca. And I say this every time we have a Canadian guest on the show. It's not .com. It's .ca. .ca, um, Canada. Other 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 domain extensions exist outside of our .com mindset. So... <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for sharing your, your story with us. I was really, really excited to have this conversation uh, with a fellow podcaster who not only podcasts, but is in the business to help grow the damn pie. <laughs> and because the pie is tiny right now, you know, we we'll argue that it's in the hundreds and it should be in the thousands and the tens of thousands of, you know, a- Asian American, Asian podcasters globally. And even of that subset Really encouraging to see so many of our sisters turn on their microphones and start sharing their stories because traditionally, you know, it's two two limiting factors there when it comes to getting permission from traditional media. Would love to close out the show in the traditional way that we do here at Dear Asian Americans by asking you to share a love letter, a letter of encouragement and inspiration to our audience. And as we do with our non American guest, I will modify the letter ever so slightly (laughs) and ask you, uh, Mary, to complete the letter. Dear, Asian Canadians.
1: Dear Asian Canadians, your voice matters. Your voice will create impact. We need to think bigger, not small, that, hey, why, what do I have to do? What do I have to say? Every word that you choose to use Someone is going to hear it. And when they hear it, you can change a life. You can change a perspective. You can change the landscape. So, and being Canadian, don't apologize and say sorry for what you have to say. Believe in it. Trust in it. Have passion to execute it, to say it. Because when you're able to share your story, to really embrace, body, this experience that you have and to share what you've learned along the way, there's no better way to truly be your authentic self than when you are using your own voice. And no one can take your story story away from you. So share it. Be who you are. Use your voice to your fullest potential and you are going to change somebody's life.
0: Thank you so much. You mentioned something that got me a, a chuckling inside, which is how how tough is it to be a Asian Canadian where both of your cultures tell you always to apologize.
1: I know. You're right. Never, yeah. oh, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Because always as Asians, it's always like, say sorry, say sorry. Always, You know, yeah. don't, don't rock the boat, you know, don't, don't trouble the host. And then you know, even the Canadians are like, "Oh, it's always our fault." So
1: (laughs) that is a tough one. I always say sorry because I think more of the Canadian side in me, but then I become the the meek, humble Chinese. I'm sorry, right? Which is (laughs) yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, much of the same side of the coin. Um, Yeah,
0: (laughs) man. uh, if, If if you're an Asian Canadian person and you're suffering with this. Exact thing. Reach out to Mary. I'd um, love to
1: hear about it. We can commiserate. She, yeah, and, and,
0: she'll, and she'll coach you through all of it. Um, thank you so much, Mary. You can also go check her out, OrganizedSound.ca on Instagram. There are two pages I want folks to go and like and follow. It's Organized Sound Productions. That's her business page. She also is the host of the Visible Voice podcast. And so at Visible Voice podcast, you can find her, Visible uh, Visiblepodcast.com is the website. Subscribe to it wherever you listen to podcasts. All the links to Mary's business and her show will be in the show notes. If you're following us on Facebook or Instagram, it will be tagged in the notes or the description area below. Mary, thank you so much for what you do um, for the podcasting community. I know you are a frequent speaker at the world's biggest podcast conferences. And you're a vac- very active member um, of very many communities that not only uplift um, Asian American voices, but also voices for women around the world. I think we need more people like you um, who have the experience and the know-how to do it. And then not only to, for you to do it, um, but for you to now then take your gifts and your talents to go spread the love and, and spread the magic with so many people who need to listen to it. So, yeah, thank you. It's Thank gonna you. Be,
1: that was amazing. <laughs> thank I, you for having it, me on the show. I love what you're doing <laughs> with this. And I just wanted to share and to be on it and to learn from you too and to hear your stories. So thank you for creating this.
0: Thank you. Uh, you know, one, one thing that I learned very quickly is you got to be a hype man, you know, and this is one, one last trick that I will I'll share with the people who are, it's not a secret. It's, I don't know, maybe it's a secret. You know how, like, parents, when your kid does well, the parent looks better, and the parent should never really like. If your kid does well, your parent takes credit, right? And most, a lot of managers don't understand this in the work context, but when your team does well, you get shine. You always have asshole people who take credit and they realize that it actually looks worse on them. Having guests on your podcast is similar, in my opinion. If your guest sounds like a badass, the validity and the Spotlight on your own show grows. And you have to help that person get bigger. You have to get that person's business service, their personal brand on a bigger platform through what you're doing here. Because if they get super successful in 20 years, you're still going to be able to listen to their show here today, right? And so this is. You know, we're, I'm, I'm a technically a podcast host, but I apparently have learned that I am also a PR agent, a yes. hype person, a cheerleader, a marketer. Marketing, um, yeah. And, and all these things and, influencer. And so it, it, it has to be, right? Because, and I'm always humbled because I get notes from folks and be like, hey, after coming on your show, like all this crazy shit happened. And I was like, cool, that's exactly what we wanted, right? Um, we want this to spur action. We want connections to be made. And so if if you're out there starting on your own journey, it's a humble realization that the show is actually not about you, but about your guests. And the more attention and focus you put on your guests, it will actually start to pay dividends. So Mary, this is a lot of fun. Um, yes. So much fun. Time, time went by very quickly. Uh, look forward to staying engaged. Thank you for doing all that you do for the community. And Keep telling your stories. I appreciate it.
1: Same with you. Thank you so much for having me on. And again, I I love hearing all the stories on your show. So thank you for sharing it with the world.
0: Thank you. Thanks again so much for tuning in. That was a really, really fun conversation and a really refreshing conversation with somebody who else is in the podcasting space. Mary is such an amazing and helpful person for me and for so many of us in the community, uh, whether it is within... Uh, our Asian podcast network or the Asian American podcasters association. Uh, she has been really helpful and so encouraging and helping so many people start their own podcasting journey. So I want to give Mary a big shout out again, please visit her. If you uh, have any questions about podcasting or want some help starting your own podcast, uh, please tag us and share the episode out with a friend. If you can, uh, you can find us at the Asian Americans across most social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and on Twitter, you can find us just at Dear Asian Am, or you can find me at Jerry J. Wan on Instagram and shoot me a DM if you want to start a conversation. Or if you prefer email, it's just hello at Dear Asian Americans.com. Finally, if you found this episode fun, if you love Dear Asian Americans, one way you can support the show is to leave us a rating and a review on Dear Asian Americans On Apple Podcast. It is a way for other people to discover the show and to let Apple and other folks know that you love Dear Asian Americans. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Again, we're just 28 days away from the election. Make sure you're registered. If you can vote early in whatever state you are in, please do so. And above all, please stay healthy and safe and happy. I'll see you next week for episode 80. Signing off for Dear Asian Americans, this has been your host, Jerry Wan.